Hello, I'm Liv Bolton and welcome back to The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire you to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of your life. Series 6 of The Outdoors Fix is produced in association with outdoor footwear brand Merrill. I'm walking in Lee Woods, just outside Bristol, just across the gorge from Bristol City. It's a beautiful wood actually, it's beach, got some sycamore, I'm looking at some oaks. There are lots of kids running around and dogs and people from Bristol coming out of the city for a bit of greenery and a bit of fresh air. And I'm here to meet Elise Downing. She ran 5,000 miles around the coast of Britain in 2015, over 10 months. I can't wait to hear from her about what it's like to do a massive adventure like that, but also whether it does change your life, whether it actually makes you more adventurous or outdoorsy afterwards and what impact that kind of adventure can have on you. I'm hoping that she'll have lots of tips for people who want to do a big adventure and also for people who want to do smaller adventures but more often. Anyway, I'm looking forward to this walk. I need a bit of fresh air today. I think she's going to be here any minute. Elise, hello. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show. Not at all. Thank you for coming on the Outdoor Speaks podcast. We are in Leewoods yep. in Bristol. Can you explain where we are right now, Sat? Yeah, so we're sitting on a bench. We're kind of at the top corner of the woods where a lot of people don't walk to, so it's quite quiet. You never see anyone in this corner. And we're looking at a kind of slightly sludgy big pond, but it's quite nice. There's some moorhens chasing each other around and the sun's actually come out after raining all morning. So it's lovely. And it, um, we've been lucky. <laughs> we have. It's a little bit of wind, but actually it's really refreshing. I mean, I've been in the car in the yeah. morning and it's gorgeous to come for a walk. Yeah. We're sitting under an oak tree right now. It's lovely. Yeah, we're going to go to Paradise Bottom in a minute, I think, which has got some huge old trees, which I'm not very good at trees, but they are quite impressive. <laughs> <laughs> is this your running route now? Yeah, so I often run around the woods. There's loads of different loops. I really like just coming in here and getting lost and um, trying not to get on the mountain bike, bike trails because then the mountain bikers get annoyed at you. But um, it's like a 20-minute run from my house and you're in this beautiful woods, so feel very lucky. <laughs> Amazing. So this podcast is all about people who make the outdoors a bigger part of their yeah. life. And you did exactly that in 2015 when you ran 5,000 miles around the coast of Britain. Yeah. Crazy. And you've just written a book about it called Coasting, which I thought honestly was brilliant. I thought it was very funny, really inspirational. And um, I just love the fact that your dad was a big part of the book as well. Honestly, is... the main feedback I'm getting is get your dad a book deal. And it's really going to his head. He phoned me the other day to say he'd heard on the radio about influencers and how did he become one? Oh my goodness, because <laughs> your dad came on a lot of the running yeah. parts of the route with you. I was like, no, dad. <laughs> Amazing. So you um, ran from Greenwich in London, yeah. clockwise around Britain mm -hmm. over 10 months yeah. from November 2015 to August 2016. Yeah. It's an extraordinary journey. Before we get into the ins and outs of, you know, what the journey was yeah. like and everything, can you just tell me what led up to that decision to go and do this 5,000 mile run? So it was definitely quite um, of a bit of a naught to 60. I hadn't, I really wasn't particularly outdoorsy beforehand. I'd um, just, I'd finished university the kind of in the May of 2014 and then I'd started a graduate job in London and 
it was meant to be really exciting. I was working for a startup. I remember putting my Facebook post up saying I've got this great new job and I've moved to London and all my friends seemed kind of quite excited about like, their careers. And it feels like such a cliche to say, but I was just sitting at my desk at work thinking, I cannot sit here for another 40 years. Yeah. This is so miserable. And I think, yeah, I just was really miserable. I kind of, my flat was a bit rubbish and took all of my terrible wages. I was in a quite, I was dating someone and it wasn't a very happy relationship. And I just, I think I just had this idea to run around the country. I was literally sitting at work one day, I was looking at a map and I thought, oh, I wonder if anyone's been around the coast of Britain before. And um, it turned out people had like cycled and walked, but no one had really ran it. And it just seemed like a sort of good excuse to quit my job, get out of this relationship and it and like leave my flat. And I was like, well, if I do this, this is quite a valid reason to leave all those things. Whereas I can't, just, obviously I can't just quit my job for no reason. So yeah, it was kind of a bit of an escape plan, I think. The thing is, when you come up with these big ideas and a lot of, you know, a lot of people will have had these big ideas, it's kind of making it actually happen yeah. is the big thing, isn't it? So how did you go from that idea yeah to thinking, okay, well, I'm on the start line in Greenwich. So I think there was a lot of ignorance was bliss. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I read a book review of the book where somebody said they just couldn't believe the, my level of disorganisation. And I was like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I can't believe it either. I basically, yes, yeah, so I had the idea and I started to tell people, I told my parents and some friends, and I don't think anyone really believed that I would do it. Um, but then I told my boss um, that I was going to leave in six months' time, which, given that I'd only been there for about six months, um, was, I guess, quite bold at the time. But I was talking about it so much, that, and I was quite really good friends with people I worked with, so I was like, there's no way I could not tell them. Um, and I started, like, I was following a lot of people online who did these sort of things, so I emailed Anna McNuff, who was um, running the length of New Zealand at the time, and I was like, I'm going to do this thing, have you got any advice? And what I found was that whenever I told anyone like that, like people in the adventure community, who I expected to just kind of laugh me out of the room and be like, you've got no experience, you can't do this. They were all so supportive. That I just kind of got swept away in it a bit. And I was like, well, I guess I can do it then. If I know enough so, I can do it. Somebody suggested I set off in November of, so this was in about the March time, for yeah. some context, and of 2015. And I think when I first thought of it, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll plan it for a few years. And then somebody was like, set off in six months. And actually, I think that was the best advice I got given. Because I think if I'd given myself two years to plan it, I never would have ended up going. Yeah. And I think also at the time, I was, I was 23. I was obviously really young. And lots of my friends were still doing things like doing ski seasons or gap years and going traveling and stuff. So taking 10 months out of my everyday life to go and do something didn't feel almost as monumental as I guess it would now. Like, right, I think yeah. I'd think about that a bit more mm. now. So I think it was a good time to do it. Um, yeah, so somebody suggested going in six months and I remember I bought a notebook and I kept sitting down and thinking I need to plan it now. And I just set aside a whole Sunday to open my notebook and a yeah. fresh sheet of Google and plan it. And I just didn't know what I was meant to plan. I was like, I don't really know how far I'll be able to run each day. So there's no point coming up with an itinerary of any kind. And I was only running on the first day from Greenwich to Dartford. It's not like I was going to like a jungle and I needed to work out like vac vaccinations and like <laughs> stuff. So I was just like, I just didn't know what there was to plan. So I get to the de first day and pretty much no planning has happened. <laughs> So you had a kind of, you say in the book that you'd literally, you know, on paint, drawn a line around the coast of Britain. That was about as far as you went. But I mean, I guess the thing is that sometimes on these big journeys, you just have to plan as you go along, right? Yeah. And I think also, I don't think there's anything wrong with choosing something 
that matches the level of like planning you're meant to put like because i was in the uk i could have got a train home at any time if things had gone wrong and i was just each day just going around especially at the beginning really well populated places not like i was going anywhere remote that and i think if i'd planned to go do something like run through a jungle that required all this like like food drops and stuff i just don't think i ever would have done it it would have been so beyond my capabilities like now i think i probably could plan something like that but i just don't think it would have ever happened so i think it's kind of fine to do something that matches your dedication to the planning basically Definitely. and i think stuff close to home is fantastic for that yeah and so in terms of what you were wearing and what you were carrying yeah were you carrying a big backpack yeah so basically i the plan was to camp the whole way around and that was mainly well for two reasons i just thought that's what you did on an adventure like i said i was following people at anna who she was camping and running so i was like okay that's, i guess that's what you do then and also I knew there was no way I could afford to kind of stay in a hostel or a B&B every night. Um, so I, I was planning to camp the whole way around. And sometimes when people do long running adventures, they use like buggies to push their stuff in. But because of, because of the kind of terrain I was planning to run on, that just wouldn't have worked. Like if it's like coastal trails and like you just can't, you can only really do that if you're on like roads or really like wide sort of gravelly tracks or something. So. It had to be a backpack, and I pretty much went on Anna McNuff's website, got her kit list, and bought everything on it. Great. I was like, it's working for her. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had in my backpack, I had basically two sets of clothes at any given time. So, one set, I started off calling my clean set, it was actually just the dry set, and then <laughs> yeah. the other set was the wet set. So, I'd run in a set all day, basically, and then put the other set on in the evening. And I think my number one adventure tip is don't, is like have good wet and dry kit etiquette. Like, however grim it is putting your wet kit back on in the morning, you've just got to do it because you need to have a dry set. That's my top adventure tip. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had two sets of like clothes. So, like in the summer, that was shorts, winter, that was leggings, and like a running t shirt. Then I had sort of a long sleeve running top. Um, waterproof down jacket really lightweight tent sleeping bag and roll mat um, and then I had an iPad because I yeah did actually worked a bit as I went around and it was really useful um, and a Rubik's cube inexplicably which <laughs> you always need something for a little bit of entertainment yeah and that was pretty much all I had yeah Gosh. so I want to get on to like you know you staying in people's yeah. homes and that kind of thing in a minute um but you did obviously as you mentioned lots of coast paths yeah including as part of your route including the southwest yeah. coast path which takes in Devon and Cornwall that's 630 miles in itself yeah which you did how was that? That looked beautiful. I mean, it sounded beautiful. And I it is beautiful. Love the Southwest Coast Path. I just think it's. I think it's like a national treasure. It's so well maintained. Like the amount of volunteer hours that go into maintaining the Southwest Coast Path is incredible. There's an amazing, amazing website that details every single section. There's a calculator so you can work out distances between places. I truly think the Southwest Coast Path is like one of the best things we have in the UK. <laughs> um, and I, I did it in the middle of winter, so it was super stormy. It was very like dramatic a lot of a bit time. like today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of wind blustering over. Um, and but it was still amazing but i would love to go back and i have been back to do snippets in nicer weather and i, I really like the idea of just even walking it over the over a summer and seeing it in it's kind of sunnier weather but the good thing was if you do it in the winter it's really quiet there's yes. like you don't see anyone else there but i do remember getting to the end of that and thinking if i just told people i was going to run the southwest coast path 
everyone, especially because how inexperienced I was, everybody would have thought that was a really long way. And that was a bit of a like mental block at the end of it. That I was like, if, if I'd just picked a shorter adventure, it almost would have been the same. Like it would have just been in the really long way category. Yeah. And I'd be finished now. But I was like, oh no, I've got another 4,000 <laughs> miles left to run. But you um, sunk quite a yeah. big, big chunk, didn't yeah. you? But the South Coast Valley is just beautiful. Yeah. But it's so hilly. I think you cover the height of Everest eight times. You might want to fact check that, but something like that. I've heard that it is. And I remember my dad came to visit me for a weekend and he was marathon training at the time and he went out for a run and he was like oh I'm doing four miles I'll be back he's quite fast he's like I'll be back in about half an hour and I was like I don't think you will and he came back around an hour later covered in like nettle stings he was like it's quite hilly out there isn't it I was like yes dad absolutely and then during the rest of the route you covered a lot of different coast paths yeah. and you say that they are sort of the national treasures you had I mean there's the Norfolk coast path the Wales coast path which other ones were there so there's the Wales Coast Path, um, there's one around Cumbria, but that's kind of been discontinued. I wouldn't recommend trying to follow it. it I nearly got my leg bitten off by a dog at one point. Oh um, that's kind of been discontinued a bit. Um, around Scotland, I did a bit of the Arran Coastal Trail, the Moray Coastal Trail, the Fife one. Um, and then coming down the East Coast, you've got like Northumberland Coast Path, Yorkshire, I think that's the Cleveland Way. Um, Norfolk I'm definitely missing loads out but there's so many and now which launched properly last year there's a whole England coast path so the whole of England has got a marked mapped out trail that you can follow that obviously pieces together some of those ones we've just mentioned and then also has like a set route around other places so would have been a lot easier if I'd yeah, done this I was after say, before your time yeah. yeah oh dear but yeah so I, I just yeah our coast paths are amazing yeah they do sound amazing and in the book you write when you're in Scotland that you ran out of ways to say that Scotland's really beautiful yeah. was that your favourite section do you think um it's difficult because I loved I love the experience I had in Scotland because it was when it, I got there pretty much on the 1st of May, right at the beginning of May, and almost immediately I was hit by this crazy May heat wave. Like at one point it was hotter than Istanbul and Ibiza in Whoa. Scotland. Had the most ridiculous tan. It was so hot. Like so it was unusual. a heat wave. People were just incredible. And I feel like it was geared up to adventure in a way that kind of the really populated south coast isn't like i could put my tent up anywhere if i wanted to and just people were lovely like i had a great time in scotland and you get macaroni cheese pies so that's oh, the most important thing yeah but the downside to scotland was it doesn't there are some really good coast paths like i mentioned a couple but it doesn't have the same network of them all the way around so quite a lot of places like the coast would be beautiful and i'd know it was there but i'd have to run on a road a bit inland right. and so the running itself actually wasn't as great in places even though the scenery was um, and I think that's why the Southwest Coast Path is still kind of my favourite because the path, for the most part, like cut into the cliffs and you're like there yeah. and it's just beautiful. But I did love Scotland. And you've also said that it was the, what was the quote? So it was the best and the worst and the most wonderful and hardest thing you've ever done. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I think, I guess like a lot of sort of endurance and adventure things, it's just all at once, like awful and great. And, and it changes minute to minute, like one minute it feels so hard. And then the next minute you're on a top of a hill and it's you've seen this beautiful view and it's amazing and i think that's in part why these things are so exhausting it's not just the physical it's like the mental of just getting your head around everything that's going on and it was just every five minutes i changed my mind about how i felt about it and every day and every week and it was just all at once all of these things and i think there's also there's the fun scale where type one fun is just like fun but 
Um, and then type two fern is kind of like a bit miserable while it's happening, but you know it's fern afterwards. Type three fern's just not fern. I think type four fern is where it's actually dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and I think most of it, most of kind of long distance running or hiking stuff is a lot of type two fern. Like you're not actually necessarily enjoying it while it's happening. But then that moment when you get to stop walking and you're like you get to have a cup of tea and put some dry socks on and think about all the beautiful things you've seen is so amazing and I think the more you do it then you kind of can draw on that in the horrible moment because mm-hmm. you're like well I know I'm going to really love this in a few hours when I finished it and there's just yeah it's so conflicting all your feelings about it yeah I bet and, and you say in the book that you know there are there were moments when you were running with a lot of people or you were running with family and friends and then when they left yeah. you were a bit like oh god I'm back on my own again I think especially with family and friends and I think some of my friends just thought I was being a bit grumpy at points like they kept trying to arrange to come and visit and I was just like sort of putting them off a bit but I think I felt like my adventure life was kind of ticking along and then whenever and I just sort of tried to forget about the fact that my friends were all like in the pub on a Saturday night without me and then when they came to visit it just really reminded me of that and then I just felt so lonely when they'd left so it was I think they were almost always my hardest bit so like my dad would come and visit and that was great and then he'd go and I'd be like oh right I'm on my own again now so I think I definitely whereas I I think that's why I actually really enjoyed the east coast of England because I was coming back home it felt like the home straight it was the summer and when people came to visit I could actually enjoy it because it'd be like well I'll see you again in a month Mm. I'm like nearly home yeah and that was actually really nice to be able to share it in a bit more of a positive way whereas I felt on the other bits I was a bit like I'm really grateful you've come but I can't really enjoy you being here I think that was a really nice thing about you, you know, describing your journey is that it's not always just so fantastic yeah. all the time. It's the reality of it, that it is an most wonderful experience, but there are some really hard bits to it. Yeah, and I think something I was always really aware of was being able to go and do this thing. I was so lucky and privileged to be able to take 10 months out of my life to go and do this. And I wanted to enjoy it. And like I really, and I do really believe that, I think it's a bit different if you're setting out to run like a world record and you're like really like, def- pushing human limits but for the most part these things are quite self-indulgent and if you're not enjoying it on some level then what's the point of doing it so I really wanted to enjoy it but then equally some bits were just so rubbish like when I'd had wet feet for three months on end and I was like this is like why am I doing this um so yeah there definitely were a lot of hard moments yeah but um as we were mentioning earlier you had a mixture of staying in people's homes um b&b's hostels camping a lot of people just offering up their homes through Facebook, yeah. which is really wonderful. You saw hundreds of places, met loads and loads of people. I was wondering, what did you did? Did you sort of come away with um, any thoughts about our, you know, about Britain after ex- meeting that many people and seeing those many places? Yeah, definitely. Because I think before I went, people said, "Oh, you'll be so surprised by the kindness of strangers," and I was like, "Will I?" <laughs> like, see, it's England. I'm sure that happens in far-flung places, but it won't happen here. But actually, yeah, people just through a mixture of kind of people getting in touch with my Facebook page and then it'd be like a web of like friends of friends of friends of friends that I stayed with. I think I stayed with 200 complete strangers in the end, wow. something like that. It was, it was about two thirds of the night, so I stayed with people. And, I, and at the time that it was happening, I was running through the kind of Brexit referendum and on the news, it was just all kind of like these two really opposite sides and everyone being really angry with each other. And I would stay with people and we'd have conversations over dinner every night and everyone would have very different opinions. And I'd be like, 
but you're all really, really nice people. And I think if you all sat down and had dinner together, you'd really get along. You're like lovely people. <laughs> and I can't really marry this up with all the stuff that you kind of see in the news and people just slacking each other off, basically. Yeah. And it was, I think it definitely made it all feel a lot more kind of human. And I was like, I think most, for the most part, people are nice people and they have reasons why they kind of believe in whatever they believe in. And people, yeah, were just so, like, so ridiculously kind to me. And it was really real privilege to be allowed into people's homes I think um but yeah definitely I just I love Britain I just think that we have so many nice people <laughs> and getting back to the running then yeah. you had done a marathon before this but you had you know you weren't like doing marathons all the time no <laughs> um, and um by the end of the journey you were running up to 40 miles a day yeah that's an extraordinary distance day after day after day I, I know you had a few rest days but I mean that on the toll on your body yeah was it really interesting to see how your fitness grew? Yeah, I think it really just kind of proved how much we as humans are made to move. Like I'd, I'd been running for like two years when I set off. I'd done I'd won pretty disastrous marathon. Like I definitely wasn't like a seasoned ultra runner by any means. And at the beginning, it was really hard. I remember doing 17 miles on the first day and thinking, this is a really long way. Um, how... How am I ever going to carry on? Oh, we've got a little dog here. Hello. <laughs> we've got a friend. <laughs> and especially at the beginning, when it was dark early and the weather was rubbish, like quite often I was doing kind of 10 miles a day, sometimes even a bit less. Like I definitely wasn't running mega miles. And I just really slowly built up to it in a way that I guess, although it was on a bit of an extreme level, when you start running, they do tell you to build up your mileage slowly and stuff. And I think I did do that. And there just became a point where, and I was like, my pace was really slow, like the intensity was slow, but there just became a point when I could just kind of run like miles and miles. And it never felt easy, but it felt doable and it was fine. And now I'm definitely not that fit anymore. And I look back and I'm like, that's mad. Like I can't imagine doing those distances day in, day out. So you definitely lose it again. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think it just shows how much we are made to move in that way. And if you just kind of let, are like gentle on yourself, your body will cooperate mostly and you didn't really get many bad injuries no I didn't I had a bit of a niggly leg over Christmas so I had a week off then but other than that I was all right really and I think a big part of that was down to the really low intensity like I get injured really quickly now if I suddenly start doing a lot of like speed training or like running on the roads like faster whereas it was all on trails which I think helps because you're really varying your foot pattern a mm. lot so you don't get those repetitive injuries as, as much especially in the winter it was so muddy that it was like yeah. I was Lots like sliding through yeah I was barely there was no impact on the ground um and yeah my intensity and pace was really slow and also I was eating so much especially because I was staying with people even some days when I hadn't run very far they'd just give me so much food now right. I think especially in female athletes there is a real tendency to underfuel, which is the most surefire route to injury so I think eating a lot and going slowly was the key <laughs> You have said that the more time I spend outside and the more I moved, the more the world made sense to me. So what do you think the outdoors does for you? How does it make you feel? Yeah, I think, I mean, they've done so many studies on the fact that just like the colour green calms people because it's the colour of nature. And I think I'd always, I'd done a bit of walking and stuff before, but not really enough to kind of appreciate it that much. And I think... I don't know what it is. I just feel like I can often, especially if like, I don't know, work's a bit stressful and you're like, I don't have time to go for a walk. And then suddenly it's been three days and you've not left your flat. And then I don't need to feel so antsy. And as soon as I get out the front door, I just feel better. And it's like, there is just something magical about being outside, especially in kind of nature and, and green places. 
And I think it doesn't have to be doing like a big endurance challenge. It could just be like a stroll around or sit, sitting on a bench even. Mm. And I think there just is something about kind of being outdoors. And I think it's a part, especially with like long distance walking and running, it just really strips back all the things you kind of think you need and all you actually need is water and food and sleep really and it's I think it's really nice kind of you're on a long run and you're like I just need these really basic things and if I've got them I'll be okay and there's no worrying about your emails or anything else it's like I just need to get to this place and fill up my water bottle and have a snack and I think there's something about that that feels very kind of freeing and that's what I what's what I love about it like I feel definitely my happiest after a weekend like camping not looking in the mirror no phone signal (laughs) Definitely. And going back to your run, I mean, you said that you didn't think you were a real runner or a real adventurer. I mean, you'd run 5,000 miles. When you sort of think back to what, what you thought then, what do you think now? I mean, I think I probably still think that. But no. I think everybody thinks, I think probably most people think that a bit. And I think, I think maybe part of that is that, especially like I was not a sporty kid. Like my brother ran cross country and was really sporty. And I'd just always kind of grown up with this view that sport was something you did to win and you and you did it to be competitive and be really good at it. And if you weren't, then there was not really any point in doing it, which is why I didn't do any of it. <laughs> and I think even now, though I really like running, I'm not in it to win a race. And I could, if I trained harder, I could probably be a bit better at it, but I don't, I don't want, it's a part, big, huge part of my life. It's not like my be all and end all. I also like doing other things and go to the pub with my friends. <laughs> like I don't want to just like train all the time. And I think it's probably, yeah, probably that, like, being happy sort of doing it at a certain level that you're like, well, if I was a real runner, I'd be, you know, taking supplements and training every day. And it's like, but then I guess there's no such thing as a real runner. But I think especially on when I was uh, running around the coast, I'd have people come and run with me and they just look so professional and they'd come in their hydration packs. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I really don't know what I'm doing. But there definitely was a point kind of halfway around or so Whereas, like, even though I don't feel like a real runner, like you say, the kind of proof's in the pudding and I have ran this far at this stage. So I guess I must sort of know what I was doing. Yeah, just a bit. And I think that was quite a nice realisation. I think, I don't know, maybe this is a a kind of bit of a female thing, but I think it's quite easy to, like, somebody just have people give you their opinions that you don't necessarily want and it took about six months in for me to be like oh no actually I know how far I can run each day and how fast I can go and what I need to eat and what I need to do this and I stopped listening to his very well-meaning opinions but it's like no I don't need to listen to your experience I've done this for six months and I know what I need to do so I I definitely felt a bit confident more confident from that point in well I think that's what maybe people who listen to your story and your challenge will think that it might give them the confidence to think that actually being a real adventurer Mm. is not out of reach you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be this professional thing you don't have to have all the right kit do you no and also I think um that you don't have to be the best to do like I, I truly, truly believe anybody could run around the coast. Like, if I could do it, anybody could. Like, I didn't have a big background in running. I was very amateur. I really think, like, physically, if I could do it, anyone can. But equally, n- most people haven't. Like, all there is to doing it is the doing it. Like, anyone could, but you just have to be the person who actually yeah, does it. And you don't line. have to be the best at it. Like, there are hundreds of better runners than me out there. Like, I'm really good friends with lots of them, but... They haven't done, and then if they run around the coast, they do it a lot quicker, I'm sure, and a lot better, but they haven't done it. So, and I think, yeah, that's all you have to do, just do it, and then you've done it. 
exactly. So um, you finished your 5,000 mile run. Let's just re-emphasize that again. Oh my goodness. Um, in Greenwich Park yeah. on August the 27th, 2016. Um, you had a few friends to yeah. you know, celebrate and some family to, to meet you there. Um, when you look back at that day, how do you feel? It was weird because I think when you do, like, I've done quite a few like single or multi-day ultras where you're really putting everything you can into that one day or those few days and you get to the finish line and you couldn't possibly run another step and you're like, I've got to sit down and you can't walk for a week. And I think you kind of expect the end of a big challenge to feel a bit like that, but obviously you can't be at that like point for 10 months. So by the time I got to the end of the run, like I was fine basically i i'd had like a fairly easy run that morning but like i was physically fine i wasn't exhausted and it just remember feeling all quite surreal i was like i'm just in the park with my family and my friends and but they're clapping <laughs> and it was i think i was really ready for it to be finished but i remember being a bit like I, this is all i've thought about and all i've talked about for 10 well over 10 months who like what do i do now like who am i but the day in itself we, we got to the finish line and we had a bit of an ongoing joke that my dad, at my university graduation, my dad bought me a, uh, I asked him to go and get me a drink and he bought me a bottle of Stella. So in all my graduation pictures, I'm wearing this nice dress and holding a bottle of Stella. And then at the finish line of the run, he gave me a can of warm Fosters. I was like, Dad, I'm like, don't look so impressive here. Get the champagne out. Um, so it, I'm just stood there holding this can of like warm beer, just thinking, what is going on? Um, so yeah, it was definitely a kind of bit of mixed feeling of just quite surreal. Like I've thought about this moment for so long and now it's here and it just feels so ordinary almost. Yeah. But I was but happy to be finished. I bet. And you know, it's been five years yeah. since then now. And writing this book, you've had a bit more of a chance to yeah. think about it and the impact on your life. I was going to ask, you know, looking back and thinking about it more, how did it change you, that run, do you think? I think the main thing is that I'd, I obviously had this idea. I really didn't know if I could do it. I don't think any of my friends or my family really thought that I could. My brother was clearly just so surprised the whole way. He, I think he came to visit in the end just to see that I was actually there doing it, not just kind of like green screening, running up and down my mum's living room, which actually would have been more impressive, I think, if I've managed to pull that off. But, um, and I think everyone was quite surprised. And I was definitely at first quite embarrassed, like almost embarrassed to tell people, because I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And it's, it's probably a bit of a bold thing to go and like claim to make. Like, I'm gonna go do this thing, I'm not a very good runner. And I think it was just really nice to know that like, you can have a completely ridiculous idea and set about making it happen. And almost, even if I hadn't finished it, it wouldn't have mattered. Like, you can just have a go and it doesn't matter what your friends or family think. And I think that definitely gave, made me a lot kind of braver in other ways. Like, I think quite similar with writing the book. I was like, I'm just going to have a go at this and if it doesn't work out, that's fine. But I think, I, I mean, I feel like I was braver then though. Like, I don't think I'd go and run around the country now. <laughs> so maybe I was just young. <laughs> So you stepped away after the, you finishing the run, you stepped away from running for a while yeah. and you moved back to London and you write how you actually sort of got a bit into a, a rut again. Sort of how have you changed things up since yeah. then? So I think my first thing would be if anyone's going to go on a big adventure, I'd really recommend having a bit of a coming home plan and, and especially a coming home fund, like separate, because I finished the run, I had not a penny to my name um, and I, had, I moved back stay with my parents for like a month or so and I mean I'm sure I was super annoying because I was just really grumpy <laughs> in their spare room for a month and it wasn't my poor parents fault at all 
and I just didn't know what to do. I obviously needed to get a job because I didn't have any money. And I was like, I just didn't know what to do. And also I just felt a bit like I'd been completely consumed by this run. And I kind of just wanted to not think about it for a while. Like I didn't want to be the person who'd run around the country for a while. And I basically I ended up getting a new job in London, moving straight back in with one of my best friends. And I had a year of like, I had a, like a fun year of just like hanging out with my friends, going to the pub. I dated someone for a bit who wasn't into the outdoors at all. I remember I cycled five miles to work and he was petrified. I was going to get run over and I was like, oh God, oh God. <laughs> this isn't going to work. <laughs> but, and I just kind of completely stepped away from that really. And then it kind of was a bit of a slow process really. So I, about just over a year after I finished the run, I, I'd got a bit injured, I got on one of the rare runs I'd been on. and. I, I wasn't feeling like I knew I wasn't doing enough exercise, wasn't feeling great about myself. So I got a running coach and just really by, and we started from basics and he set me a plan really easy. And I think just by virtue of the fact that I was paying him, I went on every single one of those runs and it just became a part of my like day to day life in a way it never had been before. And now like running and walking and that's the main thing I do with all of my friends. Like it's such a big part of my life. And I went from working at a tech startup to I worked at a walking charity and then an outdoor events company. And now I've kind of freelance doing those sorts of things. And I think it was a slow process, but I've also kind of figuring out what I wanted because I guess I'd like to build up, a, not a particular, but a bit of a following through like posting about the run and stuff. And I guess there might, there was probably a bit of expectation from some people that I'd go down the kind of full-time adventurer route. And I was like, I just don't think I want to do that. I, I loved doing the adventure, but I also, it made me realise how much I value like having friends and a family and a home and a bit of a base and like a sense of community in a way that I think it's quite hard to have when you're like traveling all the time. And I never wanted to be in the position where I was going on an adventure just so then I could re write about it and speak about it. And I wasn't actually excited about it. And I think I realised I very much didn't want to do that, but it took me a while to figure out the alternative that wasn't just the polar opposite to that. And I think I've definitely got a bit more balance now, but it took a while. Like, it wasn't just a linear process of, I went on this run and then everything was sunshine and roses. So you're based in Bristol now, where yeah. you, you obviously have written the book yeah. and you, um, you know, are freelance and you're doing other bits of writing and pieces. So how do you fit the outdoors into this new routine yeah. then, you know, without, without the massive adventures, yeah. but you, you go on small adventures and things like that? I think I feel re something I feel really strongly about is, which I always feel a bit hypocritical, hypocritical saying, because obviously I did quit my job and go away for 10 months, but I think you don't have to do that to have adventure in your life. And actually, I think it's you can do so much in like the evenings and the weekends and your holidays and for the past five years that's exactly what I have all of my adventures have taken place like in weekends and holidays and I think you can do so much like with your annual leave and a weekend to do stuff and actually those are the adventures I kind of really cherish like I, I remember it was three years ago now a few friends and I did the West Highland Way over a few days oh, and we wow. just had yeah. such a fun time that we talk about that all the time and it's like a really accessible trail it's a quite an easy adventure to go and do and we talk about I talk about that way more than I ever talk about running around the coast <laughs> and and I think you can really fit it in and I think something like the main thing that I find makes a huge difference to my life and this came from I was doing a um we had a step count challenge at work and it can be quite competitive and I really wanted to win. So, and this was when I was still in London, I basically started walking everywhere. And I find just trying to walk places rather than kind of get in a car or take public transport, just 
is such a great way to fit stuff in and it's like because it doesn't always have to be this super beautiful scenic walk i think just the act of getting out and putting one foot in front of the other even if it's just across the city can be like really valuable so i think it's just making time to fit it in but i think having like having like a sense of community and making friends who like doing that kind of thing really helps because that's just how i socialize with my friends like we go for a run and then go for a coffee or we go for a walk and and i think that makes it a lot easier because i'm like well i could give up running but then i won't be able to hang out with any of my friends so and you've got into wild swimming as well haven't you i love wild swimming yeah. i think so does the rest of the world it seems but i got into it last summer um during lockdown when you couldn't really do anything else and i think something i really really like about it is because we're not, I'm not swimming distances, it's just getting in the water and getting out again. And you can't really be good or bad at it. Like, when I think when I'm running or walking, even if I try not to, I've got in the back of my head, like, what pace I think I should be walking at and how far I'm going to go. Whereas with world swimming, there's, there's no, like, pressure. You're just getting in the water and getting out again. And I think there's something like, really nice about that. Um, and, I've, yeah, I've got a really nice group of friends that I do it with and... Yeah, really, really on the wild swimming hype. <laughs> Amazing. And so with your weekend adventures then, when you're based in Bristol, yeah. where are your favourite spots? What are some recommendations for people? So I think Bristol's great. So yeah, I moved to Bristol just before, um, well, the whole pandemic hit. And I love it here. I think one of my favourite things is the mixture of you're so close to other places. Like we're really close to the Mendips where there's some great walks. I just, I was in Dartmoor yesterday, which I've just kind of started exploring a bit more. And I absolutely love it there. Um, close to the Brecon Beacons which is great so I think Brest Bristol's a great hub kind of in the central hub for adventure and then just kind of on our doorstep here there's like we're in Lee Woods and there's um, just some great places that within two a couple of miles of the city centre you can be kind of outdoors and in nature but um, I obviously I'm biased but I do think the coast is the best place to go <laughs> I just think being on the coast path is so great I was down in Cornwall last week for the weekend visiting a friend on the coast path and I was like however much I try and convince myself I like running around the woods it's not quite the same as being by the sea oh it's beautiful there I reckon you know in the future could you see yourself living down there that way yeah I think the only thing that puts me off living that way is then you're just so far from the north and I also really like like the Lake District and the Peak District and I wish you could sort of put Devon next to the Lake District I mean, that, that would, would be, be the, the centre of the world. Yeah. Yes. I don't know why you'd ever go anywhere else. So <laughs> I think, yeah, I think at some point I would definitely move somewhere a bit more that's kind of close, right on the outdoors. But um, yeah, I love Bristol for now. So Elise, who are the three people who have inspired your outdoors adventures? So I actually know them all. Um, so I'm going to go first with Anna McNuff because she was just so supportive when I, I literally sent her an email saying, I'm thinking about doing this run. Have you got any advice? And she emailed me back from the middle of the New Zealand bush, wow. um, quicker than I emailed anyone back from like the city um, <laughs> to say like, yes, this is a great idea. Let's Skype when I'm in like town next because she was running the length of New Zealand at the time. And we Skyped and she was just so excited and supportive in like such a nice way in a way that I always want to be if I ever get a similar email, but I'm just really rubbish at replying to my emails. <laughs> so I honestly just like really am appreciative of kind of the time she took. And then we met up when she got back to London and she helped me like plan and stuff. And I just think um, it was like 
yeah, just giving the time to be so genuinely excited for someone you've never met before was just really generous. And then my other two people are people I do a lot of adventures with. So my dad has to go in there. Yeah. He used to drag me up mountains like all the time as a kid and I hated it. And he finds it hilarious now that it's like my number one hobby. But um, and he he kind of started running, I guess, a bit later in life in his mid 50s. And he's an amazing runner and he doesn't do it with any ego like he he did his first marathon in like an old pair of swimming shorts and he just he loves turning wow. up to a race in the oldest worst kit and then beating people <laughs> but he just does it because like, he doesn't have any social media he doesn't have strava he just does it because he loves doing it and i think there's something really nice about that and he's just so determined as well like he will not skip a run on a training plan in a way that i think is really nice <laughs> yeah. and then my other person is my friend sophie mckeeman and she's one of my best friends. We do a lot of kind of running stuff together. She's much better than me, much faster than me, but she always patiently waits for me. But I think she is like an amazing runner. She's like absolutely smashes it every race she turns up to, but she does it around having like a full-time like job in science, doing something really worthwhile. And I think it just shows that you can do so much stuff without having to kind of, yeah, quit your job and go and like, you can be really passionate about like having quite a serious career and also, love running and really like dedicate yourself to it and I think they're the people that I find really inspiring maybe and maybe more than people who kind of do adventure stuff full-time people who are fitting it in just around their everyday lives so tips now then okay. i'm sure you'll be really great at this actually <laughs> so for people who want to take on a big outdoors adventure how to make it happen whatever that adventure is how to make it happen so i think the thing that i always say is you should obviously do enough planning to like keep you safe keep you alive so if you are going somewhere really remote obviously don't go in unprepared you need to i'm not suggesting you just go tomorrow to the antarctic but equally don't do so much planning that doesn't need to be done that will just stop you going and I think you don't need to have like your whole plan for how many months you're going away figured out. You can often just know what you're doing for a week and then kind of like do it, make it up as you go a bit. So I think don't get so bogged down in the planning that you don't go. And I think like we were saying earlier, just knowing that you don't have to be the best, most athletic person to go and do something. Just because something hasn't been done before, it's just because nobody's done it. It doesn't mean it's impossible. And I think we can all probably do a bit more than we think we can. Um, the practicalities behind like making something like a run happen are hard like it they can be expensive but there are things that you can do like i always say that my run compared to a lot of adventures like climbing everest or rowing across an ocean was so cheap like there are things you can do like human powered things on foot or by bike are actually quite accessible financially and you don't have to go for months and months and months it could just be a couple of weeks um and there are i think like the internet's amazing that like, when i was doing my run i did a bit of copywriting and worked a bit as I went around when I started to run out of money, which was amazing. So I think you can think about ways to kind of finance it, which aren't just, oh my gosh, I've got to like quit my job for 10 months. Um, but yeah, so basically just, I think you can kind of think outside the box a bit when it comes to um, finance stuff. There's loads of great adventure grants around. I won one before I went, which is how I kind of financed a bit of it. So um, kind of practicalities have to think outside the box a bit, but I think it can be a lot more accessible than it probably seems um but yeah and you just kind of have to have a go and it doesn't matter if you're any good or not <laughs>
And then how about for people who want to try some trail runs? Yeah. Advice for kind of kits or for certain fitness? Is there anything you would say for trail run beginners? So I'd say in terms of kit, the only the things that I think are really useful is and you don't need because you don't need to have these to start with. Just sort of like road running shoes for the most part will be fine, especially if you're just going around like a local woods or something. Um, but at some point, getting some specific trail running shoes is really useful because they've just got better grip and just make it a bit easier and more fun because you're not sliding all over the shop. And then um, quite often you'll have like people wear like a hydration pack vest, which is um, really useful, and you can get you can get them kind of decathlon and stuff for not very much money as well as the the really good ones. Um, and it just means you can take water, food, like a spare top because I think especially with trail running, especially when you're a beginner. Um, you might find that you'll end up kind of like walking up a hill or something and then you can get a bit chilly if it starts raining so you might want to take some extra kit and stuff so I think a backpack and some trail shoes are really useful um, at some point but I think kind of you I don't really don't think there's kind of a base level of fitness because you obviously if you're going to go and try and like run up a mountain then yeah you probably want to build up to that a bit but trail running is literally just anything off road so you can get started like in your local woods or on a river path and kind of really like build up slowly and if in some ways i actually think because especially on steep like hilly trail runs you're going to be running up the hills pretty much even like when you go to the like the elite races most people are power hiking up the hills so it's actually quite nice because it takes the pressure off a bit it's not like going for a flat run where you feel like you need to run every step and i always say i'd rather do kind of a trail ultra than like a fast road half marathon any day like i think it's easier it's a lot more relaxed you get to take a picture have a sandwich <laughs> so i think it's just kind of enjoying it but also you have to get out of your head any notion of pace like if you're used to running on the roads and you're used to whatever your like mile splits are in your pace just get that out of your head because you're going to be so slow on the trails comparatively and it will feel kind of a bit demotivating at times when you're like oh my gosh it's taken me like 20 minutes to do that mile but if you're like going up a mountain that's fine so i think yeah just forget about pace um and just have fun really and you can start small like a loop around your local woods can be a great place to start it doesn't have to be doing like a fell race Elise, thank you so much. It's been so interesting to talk about your massive journey around the coast and particularly also life since. Because I think, you know, some people think that after a big adventure, it's, you know, happily ever after with adventure and the outdoors. But it's been really interesting to talk about that aspect as well. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and I think it's always like, it's important to talk about those things. Because I think, especially online, it can just look like someone's life is one thing. And actually, we don't post the pictures of us sitting on our desks working nine to five every day. Because I guess it's not... It's not a pretty picture, is it? But I think it's good to talk about, yeah, the afterwards. Exactly. And thank you for picking such a lovely spot and we've still got the sunshine. Yeah, it's been so nice to come outside. Thanks for getting me away from my desk for the day. Not at all. And we're going to continue, are we? Where, where are we going next? Um, we're going down to Paradise Bottom because yeah. there are some big trees. Lovely. So. I'm excited <laughs> about the big trees. But thank you again. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Elise's episode. You can see photos of our recording and Elise on her 5,000 mile run on the Outdoors Fix website or on Instagram at The Outdoors Fix. You'll also find her on Instagram at Elise C. Downing. If you want to make the outdoors a bigger part of your life, why not get inspired by some of my other guests? 
guests like Iona Rendell, who set up a walking group in Scotland, which now has thousands of members. Just have a browse through the dozens of previous episodes of The Outdoors Fix. And if you like the podcast, it would be brilliant if you could rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, and if you could tell your friends and family about it to help spread the word. Regular listeners of The Outdoors Fix will know that I end each episode with some sounds of nature. So now it's that time to take a short moment to relax and listen to a cuckoo and other bird song in Hartwood Forest in Hertfordshire. It's England's largest new native forest and it's an absolutely beautiful spot, definitely worth a visit. So I hope you enjoyed the bird song. This episode of The Outdoors Fix was supported by outdoor footwear brand Merrill. Merrill is launching a year-long campaign called Hashtag Step Further to encourage people from all walks of life to get outdoors on a micro-adventure to experience the benefits for both their physical and mental health.